LinkedIn presents. I think like what I've learned through this last growth stretch, never get too high, never get too low. Never get too low during 2020. Like you're going to throw in the towel on your dreams. Never get too high in 2021 or early 2022 when there's a good market and you're growing like crazy and you know, you, you could chalk this up to, man, I'm really awesome. Like this is never going to go sideways again, uh, but, but stay in the middle along the way. Welcome to Entrepreneur Struggle, where each week we talk to founders and freelancers about their journey creating and scaling up their business. My name is Chris Colbert, and I'm the founder and CEO of the media company DCP Entertainment, as well as the video and podcast recording space, Podstream Studios Times Square. This season, we are part of the LinkedIn Podcast Academy, so make sure to check out our show notes for information about our weekly newsletter and live events. In this conversation, I'm talking to Tim Shum. Tim is the founder of Lucas James Talent Partners, a recruiting and talent acquisition firm. Now, Tim always knew he wanted to be an entrepreneur, and it was when he started his family that he knew the time was right for him to make the move. Part of that move was to create his own path to financial freedom which is ironic because he literally didn't pay himself for the first few years of the business. But things are much better now. So we talked about that journey, including how he learned how to get out of the scarcity mindset. I guess I'll start. I grew up in, in the Chicagoland area. Uh, we have some personal connections. My family's from New York. Uh, my mom's from Brooklyn. My dad's from Manhasset. Big families, cousins all around the tri-state area. But we're the only family that kind of grew up in the, in the Midwest. Uh, college at Purdue University. And then... I think for a lot of us, um, you know, I went from like carefree kid, uh, maybe a little bit of a knucklehead in class to senior year of college, um, dating my now wife, about to go in the real world. I'm the oldest of three boys and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. It was very, very, very scary. And I'm sure we'll get into this, but you know, my parents had some financial struggles kind of growing up. Um, I have a younger brother. My middle brother, Andrew, has special needs. He has uh, autism spectrum. Uh, he's an adult now. He lives with my parents, very close by to me, all this kind of stuff. So it, it kind of was a trigger for me to say, I, I really need to be successful what, one way or the other in life. I want what's best for my soon-to-be wife. I want to make sure that my brother is taken care of. I want to be able to help out my parents when yeah. they get older, if need be. And I want, I want what's best for myself. So uh, I didn't have a lot of opportunities kind of uh, coming out of college, but I did have a friend that was working at a company called Aerotech. That's a really large recruiting and staffing company that had uh, got me an interview. And I didn't have a lot of prospects back then, did the interview, uh, got the job, thankfully. And then that's, that's what started my career. So I actually spent 10 years at this organization in a lot of different um, facets. Um, recruiter, I was selling recruiting services. I kind of worked my way up the corporate ladder, so to speak. So I was uh, selling large accounts, traveling the country, selling really large deals for the organization. Uh, then my last three years uh, that I was there, I was running our Chicagoland market from a P&L perspective. So for the first time, I really got like my management uh, philosophy figured out, some management experience, um, how to hire people, fire people, you know, have be and like, all that stuff that kind of comes with, uh, you know, r running a business, uh, even though it wasn't mine. And I'll kind of finish with, we'll get into different areas. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was always fascinated with people that kind of set out on their own path. I read Fast Company and Inc. Magazine and 
I just turned 39. Mark Zuckerberg and I are kind of like the same age and he's been kicking butt ever since I was like a freshman in college, you know, watching <laughs> him from the sidelines. So I was always very passionate about going out on my own and starting uh, this thing what ended up being Lucas James Teleporters. It's so funny you bring up Facebook. I always talk to people about like, it's so weird to like think that I was like the test case study in college when Facebook started. And like, I remember when it like, I think it finally went into like high schools or something I'm like, oh my God, you you can't take this out of college. This is just for us. And now look at where it is. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> well, it was, it was my first uh, foray into, you know, there, there was headlines like Mark Zuckerberg's a billionaire. I'm like, how do you do that? Yeah. Like. My parents didn't teach me how to do that. You know, that wasn't even like on the radar, you know, it was like how to do that. So I, I understood what like equity was er, kind of early on and like the internet was there. So you could kind of like Google this stuff. So um, it was always, always a passion of mine to kind of start my own thing eventually. And, you know, eventually I did five years ago. Well, it's interesting too, you brought up something I bring up a lot to people, which is like, I found a lot of value in the fact that my journey was similar to yours, just on the audio side, where I worked my way up the corporate ladder from an intern to a board operator, producer, eventually getting more of that, that responsibility to hire and fire people and set agendas and, you know, learning how all the, all the pieces work that are eventually going to be underneath you if you start a company. Um, so I think that's really important that you're not giving out tasks or, you know, you're not asking for timelines that are not doable. Um, and at the same time, you can, if you have to do it yourself, which a lot of times when you start a company, you are doing a lot of, a lot of it yourself. So as you then started your company, how did that now go into, you know, how you started the, you know, the overall foundation? Well, I think this has been in the works, um, since college, you know, like in college, I had like a t-shirt company. I was mowing lawns over the summer. I, I was always passionate about this, but you know, my, my initial goal was like make enough money to move out of your parents' house, you know, kind of deal. And um, I've always wanted to do this. So I've been studying this for uh, a long time. I've read entrepreneur books, uh, Pop One Podcast kind of came out. I just consumed a lot of entrepreneur content, YouTube videos on how to be successful as an entrepreneur. And you mentioned like my corporate career. I, I'm, a, I'm a risk taker, but I'm, I think like a lot of us, I'm also not. I mean, what's the percentage of businesses that fail in the first five years? Like it's, it's a very, very, very high percentage. And you know, by the time I went on my own, I was married. I had my firstborn. Um, my son Lucas was born. He was like a year old when I went in on my own. And it was just very, 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 very scary. So this has been a long time coming just to make sure that like Tim was ready, right? Like I had, I had a savings account built up because I knew that I was going to not be able to pay myself for potentially several years, which ended up happening, which we can kind of get into it a little bit. Um, I wanted to make sure that I knew how to financially model things out and understood what gross margin was and pricing. And, um, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you got to sell yourself. I wanted to make sure that I was confident in my sales ability to kind of get there out on my own because who, who else is going to do it? Mm -hmm. And you're kind of going out on your own your, that first year. So there was a lot of uh, preparation, studying. Um, I'm not afraid to ask for mentorship conversations, just cold outreach to whoever's been there before and try to maybe stroke their ego a little bit. Hey, I've really, uh, I've been following what you were doing and I think it's awesome, you know, how you've been able to get to where you're at, but can I grab a coffee and I'll pay for it? <laughs> and can I just pick your brain a little bit just to try to take some tidbits of what you've done so, you know, I don't have to go five years in the wrong direction just to find out what you've, you could tell me over a, a cup of coffee and put myself in the right direction. So there was, there was a lot of uh, things that kind of went to it before I kind of had the confidence to rip the bandaid off and, um, start telling people, you know, what I was all about, what I was doing. That makes sense. And yeah, we'll definitely get back to a few of the things that you just touched on. But 
when you first started talking, that it then hit me. You said your son's name is James. Is that part of where this the name Lucas James Talent Partners came from? My firstborn's Lucas, uh, and my my second son is James. Ah, yeah, so okay. Lucas James Talent Partners. Those are my two boys. They were three and one when I started the business, and now they're eight and six. A little bit different stage of life, but uh, that's where the name came from. Wow. Okay. All right. I love it. Well. Yeah, it gets away from like the the Tim and, and Tim and Sons or, you know, that old adage of like the, the mom and pop shop. So it's like a new take on that. I like that. That's right. That's right. So when you started the business, you mentioned like some of the financial struggles and like not paying yourself. Like talk a little bit about like how you structured things financially when you started out and like how you try to take care of the business and still take care of yourself and your family at the same time. Well, I got I got some really good advice early and that advice was to create a five year plan reverse engineer back like each single year um, and then start at year one and just assess like, what do I need to accomplish? What, what do I need to do from a revenue standpoint? What are my costs going to be? Is there any leftover for Tim kind of along the way? And really just truly like get, don't be overconfident when you're doing the modeling, but just very conservatively get, get a model together, get a, get a plan together. And I think uh, when you do that exercise, uh, it does a couple of things. It kind of maps out what the expectation might be, best case, worst case, medium case scenario. But at least for me, um, year one didn't have any income for Tim. In fact, year two didn't either. And then halfway into year two, most of the way into year two, 2020 hit. And that pushed back my ability to pay myself even more. We can get into that as well in a second. But I think what was really good for me was I knew what the plan was. I had prepared by at least having enough savings. I had a conversation with my wife in terms of, hey, we're, ne- we're going to need to stop spending in these areas for a little bit until this this happens. And that at least got the scarcity mindset as much as possible outside of my purview to say, all right, I just got to focus on year one. There's not going to be any income anyways. Let me just execute. And then I'll focus on year two at year two at that point. And then again, there's curveballs each year, but that was the idea. And I think what that did is when, when you're operating in a position of scarcity, you end up, at least in my case, I'm sure you and others can relate to this. When I'm operating in scarcity, I, use, I lose sleep. I get emotional. Yeah. I tend to not think correctly within my decision making. And I tend to uh, have that kind of like scarcity kind of cloud, uh, cloud my decisions um, and what I really need to be doing at that given time. And I think when you model it out, you kind of take that away. You're just making the right business decisions for the time that you're in. No, you're 100% correct on all that, where it's like, yeah, if you're in that scarcity mindset, you're so focused on what's in front of you and just how do I get to tomorrow as opposed to thinking big picture, how is this going to be sustainable? You're missing out on opportunities because you're just focusing on, okay, I need to make sure I pay this bill or what have you. Like, I I think, yeah, everything you said, I can definitely relate to. And I, I know a lot of others can too. But especially someone who grew up, you know, with some financial hardships, I can only imagine it was that much harder because you were already starting a business trying to have more of that financial freedom and and security and now you've thrust yourself into more financial instability like was it a little bit tough for you to try to get over that scarcity mindset a little yes and yes and no i think like listen every everybody's situation is different and i can only speak for me so many people had it worse than i did my parents had white collar jobs they they worked hard they did their best but like curveballs happen you know medical stuff with my brother and so on and so forth life life throws your curveballs And that for me showed up in terms of maybe not being able to do hockey because it costs too much money, (laughs) right? Or maybe we didn't go on a lot of vacations like early on. And, you know, my my parents were just, you know, focused on making sure that we could go to school and things like that. 
And then when I got out into the workforce and then I got married, you know, and I started my family, um, I really focused on security, I think was like the top motivator for me in my corporate career, right? So um, when I was making the transition to entrepreneur, I think uh, security kind of came first and not the flashy entrepreneur buzzwords like, you know, you're going to go work on an island in a, with a laptop and you're going to have a Lamborghini and a Porsche and a whatever, <laughs> right? It's, not, it's none of that for me. It's just, I just want to make sure I have security. I have security for my family. I have security for my brother when he needs it. And that's always been in the back of my head. And I think when I get into like scarcity mode, at least for me, it's probably worse in my head than it actually is. And I think a lot of people can can relate to that, right? So when I get kind of back into a corner, if we have a bad month or when 2020 hits or even the current recessionary time that we're in, there's always those spots where I just get overwhelmed and I'm like, are we going to be okay? Do we have enough? Do we need to, you know, do we need to sell a house? Do we need to do all these things? And once I kind of get out of that mindset and take a step back and kind of look at things for what they are and the options of the decision-making that I need to make at that point, it's a lot more clear and there's not a lot of emotion kind of tied to it. So, um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, dear listeners, they are current entrepreneurs, like they, they run a business themselves, the delayed gratification with this occupation that we chose is no joke. I left corporate America seven years ago mm-hmm. and we could get to our growth in a second. Like we're almost five years in, we did over $20 million last year wow. in revenue. Like I got 140 people on the team. We got a sales team built. We got, I have people that are like, oh man, Tim, how much are you making? Like, oh, that must be awesome. And I'm like, you don't even know, man. Like you don't <laughs> even know. It looks, it looks good. I'm, I'm grateful, but we need to leave money in the business to make sure like we're not laying off people in case like the, the bottom falls out like it did in 2020 or, you know, we're, we're borrowing money to make sure that we can get up to the other side. And then I got to pay that back and all, all these different things that you don't even know, even when you're researching this, but when you're, when you're experiencing it for the first time, um, there are a lot of financial curveballs for sure. Um, and it's, it's hard to kind of grapple with sometimes for sure. Yeah. You never know what, what's going to happen. Like every day, like, like you were saying, like those curveballs come in like 2020, which we're definitely going to get to here. But also it's just, yeah, that you're only in control of so much. And there's all these factors. I, I always joke too, like on my my DCB side, we launched pod, podcasts and almost every single launch that we've had, it did not go according to plan. Either, you know, something fell through with a release and now we can't announce that we have a certain guest or, you know, maybe the host had something come up and we need to push back the launch. You know, there's all these things, all these factors that aren't always in your control and you just have to pivot with it and just be able to adjust as best as possible. Um, and obviously 2020 COVID being a major, one of those curveballs. you know, what happened there for you all? Well, I started the business in July, 2018. So when, when March of 2020 hit, I was 18 months into the business. Things were going relatively well. Like I, I had hired my first set of overhead hires, like for salesperson, second salesperson, first manager, second manager, some back office employees, outsourcing some things on one year contracts. So we had overhead for the first time. And my mindset was invest in the business for growth. Like invest now, it'll pay off in two to three years. And, you know, I'd made, made those investments thinking there wasn't going to be a pandemic that would uh, decrease our revenue substantially. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's, that's what happened. So in the recruiting space, we're, we're a cyclical business. Unfortunately, uh, we're not a software SaaS serve, like play where like the revenue always kind of comes in. If the economy is getting hit, people are going to hire less. And unfortunately, when March hit, I can't think of another Black Swan event where 
every company in every industry is questioning their hiring decisions and if they should lay off at the exact same moment. And that's what happened. All my current customers turned off. Everything that was in the pipeline kind of blew up. Uh, yeah. We took a, I think a 60% hit, 50, wow. 60% hit on revenue, like week, week over week revenue. And I just remember thinking like, we were all there. Like, how bad could this get? You know, it was like, everything going to shut off? Like, people going to turn into zombies from this thing? What, what's <laughs> going to go on here? Very, very scary. Because I was, you know, I I just made some investments. And um, I'm so thankful for how we have built the business, even to this day, last year, the year before. But those those early days, I, I, I have a, a strong group of people that had followed me from my previous life that I didn't feel alone and on an island when that adverse adversity hit and we all made sacrifices. You know, people took less salary. We locked arms myself and the salespeople at the time. We, we sold our butts off through that time. And that just made us stronger on the other side. So, uh, we saw our, most of our growth came in the 20 month stretch after this time period that I'm talking about. Uh, but here we are again, you know, in Q2 2023, dealing with a lot of economic uncertainty again at a much larger size, which a much larger employee base. Um, but I just feel more confident with the team that we have because we've we've already been through this before, even if it was just two and a half years ago. Yeah, perspective helps helps really give context to everything and helps you maybe feel a little bit more secure in the fact that okay, I made it through this before, I'm going to make it through again. And you know, sometimes you can take that perspective from other business owners. You know, hearing your story that can hopefully give people that confidence that they're experiencing this for the first time. But I'm sure it wasn't easy having that conversation in 2020 with, "Hey, can you take less money?" or "I need you to take less money." Like, how did you approach those kind of conversations? Well, I think um, you know, one piece of advice, and I've gotten this advice too. When I started it, I was a hundred percent owner, and what what I did was, as I brought people into the fold. I wanted them to be partners. I didn't want them to be just employees in the business, right? So, you know, fast forward to today, I think we have 40 people that are part of our equity program. Wow. Um, wow. And those those folks that like follow you in like year one, it's not a sexy company <laughs> to be a part of in year one when like Tim's running a recruiting firm out of his basement, right? Like you need like entrepreneurial people that get it, that understand what they're getting into, Hopefully you're explaining it correctly. So, you know, the people that I was walk- locking arms with, like they weren't employees that were looking to jump ship because stuff got scary. Like they were in it with me. We locked arms. We all made sacrifices together. And I think like, look, the other side of it is what else were we going to do except for like lock arms and fight through it together. But at the same time, like there was never a question of the people that we had on that team through that stretch. Uh, we made it through together and that there's just more confidence as a team with more more people this time uh, that, that we're going to be just fine with that same mindset. Nice. Well, and, you know, back to kind of like the the business as a whole, like, you know, obviously, you know, you are recruiting for other companies. You are bringing in people that, you know, obviously I'm sure you're vetting, but at the same time, you don't have any control over, over what happens once they get that job. Like, especially starting early on and trying to establish your business and develop a reputation for developing or, you know, connecting the right kind of people and with the right kind of companies. Was there... I guess any anxiety around like, wow, like what can happen to our reputation if, if we don't get this right? Our industry as a whole has a so-so reputation because of what you just mentioned. Uh, it's a low barriers to entry industry. There's 20,000 recruiting and staffing firms in North America. The majority of the industry operates the exact same way, which means that they'll charge 20, 25, or 30% of the candidate's salary that they place. It's a huge fee. It's very expensive. 
right? But you're absolutely right. There's a lot of times where client has a good experience, but they have to pay 30% of a, I don't know, a $90,000 salary and they got a $30,000 invoice. Like that's, that's tough. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, most of the time they have a so-so experience where they don't get exactly what they're looking for, or they hire somebody and they, they don't work out and they're left at square one, but then they also paid the fee like all, all these different types of things. Right. So reputation is of the utmost importance of what we're doing. And it all starts with the team members that you have. And our North star is like, do the right thing and treat uh, people with respect and put yourself in other people's shoes. The Essentially the golden rule is kind of like invisibly written all over what we do. Yeah. And if we're doing this times 140 some odd people, you know, interviewing 10 candidates a week, 15, 20 candidates a week times 140 people, we're, we're going to get a reputation, either good, bad, or uh, media in, in the marketplace. And uh, that's from day one has been a focus of mine, like always do right by people a hundred percent all the time. And yeah, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't work out when you're um, starting a business, there's different phases, right? So like phase one was like, Tim's doing everything. Tim's selling the service. Tim's the recruiter, right? Tim's working with the candidates and the customer at the exact same time. And then you start to, as you scale, you know, you got to get people to come in that'll sell that for you and uh-huh. then recruit for you and then manage the recruiting efforts. So like to this point, like it's kind of scary. I, I don't know what's happening, right? Unless I dig in or I make calls myself or we send out a survey, right? And I think getting systems and processes and cultural methodology around uh, what we do specific for probably for any industry, but definitely in our industry, that's a people business is of the utmost important, that utmost importance. And I think over time is where the differential of good reputation, bad reputation starts to happen. And that's how companies are, our industry tend to grow over the long period of time, as opposed to, you know, just growing for a little bit in a good market. Mm-hmm. Well, and you, like you said, like obviously to up to 2020, very tumultuous, whether it be, you know, you just kind of working those first two years and just getting everything established. Then in the 2020 with that major curveball, um, but obviously it eventually turned that corner. As you said, you're doing you know, millions in revenue. What, you know, when was that corner turned? And, and I guess, yeah, what were there certain strategies that you employed to get there? I, I think there's, there's three types of entrepreneurs. In my in my opinion, maybe there's more, but entrepreneur one is like the consultant or the freelancer, the the individual that's leaving the corporate uh, workforce uh, with the idea of I just want to make income on my own. I don't want a boss, and I want to have uh, freedom um, in my day to day life. Uh, the second is where most uh, small business owners kind of fit the four hundred thousand to maybe twenty million in revenue, where their goal year over year is I want to optimize uh, the profit my income, my family's income over time. And when you reverse engineer a lot of those decisions, it's, okay, we have this amount of profit. What are we willing to invest for growth next year? Mm-hmm. But we're modeling out some profit and growth for Tim and his family kind of deal. Uh, the third is where, where, where I fit. We have a different model than most recruiting firms. I'm looking to get to nine figures. That's a, that's a very big, hairy, audacious goal. That's going to take a long, long, long time. But when you reverse engineer that back, there's a lot of investment that tends to happen each year in growing the sales team, marketing stuff, uh, building infrastructure, making investments on the IT and technology and automation side that'll kind of, you know, think think like a hundred million dollar company and make those investments that you need to make. And I tell you, when I go back to delayed gratification, sometimes it feels like we are a long 
long, long way away from that. <laughs> but the term like reach for the stars and you'll probably fall on the clouds is very true, right? So I think we're going to get to the stars at some point, but at certain points along the way, I pick my head up and I'm like, we did $20 million. Uh, we're going to be eligible based on years in, in business for the Inc. 5000 this year. I think we're going to be pretty high on the list. I'm going to be proud of that. But that's that's not the goal, and that's not what's driving the model, and that's not what's driving the decisions that we make on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-over-month basis kind of based on that, that model. So if I was looking to just optimize my income, I probably would make different decisions along uh-huh. the way. You know, it might look a little bit different, and we might be smaller but more profitable, and that's what I love about entrepreneurship. You can do whatever you want. It's a free country. Go do it, but to the point of your podcast, there's probably going to be some struggles along the way. You should probably <laughs> know what those are before you get into it. Yeah. Have you made any bad investments as you've been you know, trying to figure that all out? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's especially, I think like what I've learned through this last growth stretch, never get too high, never get too low. Never get too low during 2020. Like you're going to throw in the towel on your dreams. Never get too high in 2021 or early 2022 when there's a good market and you're growing like crazy and you know you, you could chalk this up to man I'm really awesome like this is never going to go sideways again uh, but but stay in the middle along the way and when I was on the growth track I was investing in whatever we needed at that time and probably overspent along the way that I, at the time I was okay with maybe being a little less profitable or like break even a couple different months because it was it was going towards growth, 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 growth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need to run a very operationally profitable business. Again, not so you could put money in your bank account, but maybe for a rainy day fund if you were to go backwards a little bit. Or if you're not profitable, you can't invest more in sales or marketing in, in other areas that make more might may make more sense. So our next growth track, I've learned so much about what to do and what not to do. I may not get that extra software that we might not need. I might not get a a consultant or an advisor for every single one of my 15 managers. You know, at this stage, like maybe that's something that could wait a couple of years, you know, but I, I, was, I was thinking like a big company might need this kind of stuff. And I, I was a little too far off of maybe the stage that we're at. Uh, but this is all learning experience and I'll, I'll, do, I'll do better next time. Yeah. No, I, I think those are the things like you have to learn from those mistakes. And yeah, I've definitely, you know, overinvested in things, you know, either early on in the company and even still now it's like, okay, I, I think we need this, you know, especially because you want to operate as a major company. So it's like, they always say like you dress for the job that you want. It's the same kind of thing when you're dressing up your business and, you know, you kind of think of it in the same way. And sometimes you overdress, uh, you know, you don't have the money for that, you know, velour suit or I don't, I don't know who gets a velour suit business but anyway some expensive kind of suit could, software uh, could be like could be a lot of different things there's a lot of stuff to spend money on uh people email me all the time about <laughs> different things i could be spending money on so we'll see exactly yeah on linkedin everybody wants you to spend money on something so that's right um but no i think you've already touched on some of the things uh, but we do like to always hit on okay what are some of the great things that are happening right now um so yeah tell us a little bit more about what's going well for you and that can be both business and personal sure sure i think um uh, I'll start with myself personally as like a business owner. I think uh, I've learned so much. I feel like I'm more mature through this journey so far. And I think my mindset has shifted somewhat to be more balanced in my life over time. I've, I've kind of chalked up entrepreneurship and you know the, the success of this business to solving so many 
challenges and problems for myself and other people that, you know, if I, if I've maintained that into my forties and fifties and sixties, like I'm, I'm going to look back and probably regret it. Right. So I've, I've become much more balanced, um, as a father, I'm coaching the kids sports, sports stuff as a husband, focusing more on my health and my hobbies and just taking a much more relaxed approach to the business because Monday through Friday is going to be tough. Uh, like regardless, there's always going to be challenges. So don't get caught up in each Monday through Friday and that individual challenge that you're uh, experiencing and just enjoy the ride um, for however long it is, right? Because we don't, can't, we can't always count on tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, I found. And then business-wise, I'm, I'm just so excited about the future. Uh, we have a very resilient team. Uh, I doubled the sales team uh, recently. So we have sales capacity to double our, our revenue at the moment. Um, we have big investments into our management team. Uh, we could we have the management infrastructure to kind of double at the moment. And uh, our model, which we haven't really touched on, we're, we're, we have a very differentiated model that runs about half the cost of the model that I had mentioned before. Um, so I didn't invent this, but there's not a well-known Lucas James Talent Partners that's kind of captured nationally the market, and that's what we're setting out to do. And I feel like we're uh, positioning ourselves in order to be able to capitalize on that. I also feel the, the labor market is so tight right now. It's crazy. That's why yeah. restaurants are having trouble staffing. That's why there's inflation. Uh, there's uh, warehouses and distribution centers and manufacturing facilities and engineering centers are having trouble staffing people. There's, yeah, a, there's, a, big demand. there's a big demand for our service, but at the same time, there's a lot of economic uncertainty and fear, which are causing the layoffs. So this next growth cycle, when CFOs and CEOs go back to, instead of playing defense and saying, hey, what can I cut right now? Because I'm watching CNBC and everything's fearful right now, to how can we grow next year? Who do we need to hire? We're, we're going to explode. We have the team to do it. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And I'm, I'm enjoying the challenges along the way uh, as well. And I think that's, that, that's kind of what I've learned over four and a half years of doing this so far. Well, I think you also hit on some really great advice for other entrepreneurs, especially in this moment where it's like when everybody's panicking, now is a great time to start planting those seeds to let people know, okay, when things get better for your company and you need our service, like we're here for you, you know, you're planting those seeds now, it might not pay off for another few months or maybe even a year, um, but you want to stay present in people's mind. And that way, when they do kind of clear up that, that, that fog in their brain of, oh my God, there's just so many things going wrong. I gotta, you know, I can't spend the money I want to. Once they are able to spend that money you know, you're right there in front of them. So I think that's another great piece of advice for folks. That's right. They might not be buying today, but they uh, potentially could buy from you in the future. And you want to make sure that you're building that trust along the way for sure. Thank you, Tim Shum, for joining us on Entrepreneur Struggle. And thank you for listening. You can learn more about Tim's work by going to our show notes, which is also where you can get more information on how to stay up to date on everything Entrepreneur Struggle. We're doing monthly live events, so make sure you're following me on LinkedIn to learn more. Thank you to my producers, Heather Johnson, Brittany Temple, and Mike DuBose. Thank you for the support from the LinkedIn Podcast Academy. And until next episode, stay safe and healthy because the struggle is real. Real.